And tonight we're going to be looking at part of John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Now, tomorrow morning we'll actually look at the whole passage that goes through verse 21. But tonight we're going to talk about God's love toward us and simply focus on that particular truth. So turn in your Bibles to John 3. You know the passage very well, I'm sure. But what we'll study this evening briefly is that the glorious mission of Jesus really was to save the world. That's why he came. And there are two basic truths in our larger passage from John 3:16 to 21 in this whole section about the relationship between God and humanity, and it's pretty simply that God loves humanity in verses 16 to 18, which we'll look at tonight, but then also tomorrow in verses 19 to 21, that the reason it's so amazing is that it's done in spite of humanity's love for sin. So let's take a look at John 3:16 to 18 this evening. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The love of God of Christ is put forth here in verse 16 for us very clearly. We know the passage. The Apostle John begins now here in verse 16, really commenting on an episode that just took place in John 3, 1 through 15, this long discussion with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. And the Apostle here then, starting in verse 16, picks up on the end of that discussion. So if you just glance back to verses 14 and 15, we read this, where Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then our apostle goes on to comment on this section. But to understand the parallel a little bit, the serpent was lifted up after a plague, of course, as a reminder of the sin of the people and how God had spared their lives, or would, and those who would look upon that that is, trust in God's provision for forgiveness and then repent. So Jesus would be lifted up on the cross for sin and fulfill his glorious mission to save for those who would look upon him in faith and repentance, and he would grant them eternal life. You see, the Apostle John wants his readers to understand this whole dialogue with Nicodemus about the necessity of being spiritually reborn and believe in Jesus. And so that they can have eternal life. That's the same reason he wrote the whole book. At the very end it says, John 20, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, nothing could be clearer in the book of John than belief leads to salvation and eternal life. That's why he wrote the whole book. Now verse 16, of course, is probably the most well-known and quoted verse in the whole Bible, precisely because it encapsulates the gospel so simply, so easily. And as we talk about how God you know, so loved the world, there are a couple different ways, of course, you can read the world. You can read it in the sense that it's a general use of the term, emphasizing that God loved all the peoples of the world, and this has precedence in the prophet Isaiah 49. For example, it's too light of a thing, speaking of the Messiah who would come, that my servant should 
be sent to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved ones of Israel, but I'll make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, that's the desire of God the Father. That's the desire of our Lord Jesus Christ, that this gospel of salvation would actually reach to the farthest parts of the world. That's why Jesus also came. And then, of course, it can be read with a very particular reference to those who've been chosen out of the world who do believe that Jesus Christ was particularly given for them, for us who believe. And this immensity of this love is described by that little word that God for God so loved the world. You could also translate uh, the original as, for this is how God loved the world. He so loved the world. It's an intense love. And then there's the extent in which it's described that he gave his son. I know we, pass, we all pass over these verses or these words so quickly, but that's the extent of his love, that he would give up his own son. And the giving up of his own son refers not just to he gave him to become incarnate, but also ultimately would refer to the crucifixion. In fact, specifically to the crucifixion, as we read on in this gospel account. And it should lead us, who are followers of Jesus, to recall a number of passages or stories in the Bible that we know so well that fit in here. We might recall, for example, the story of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22 because of the shared common language, you will, of what we just read here, uh, just read in John's Gospel. So from Genesis 22, your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, you have not withheld your son, your only son. And that language is mimicked here in the Gospel of John. We might recall the prophecy in Isaiah 52 and 53 about the giving of him for the atonement of sin. So we read in Isaiah 53:10, for example, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And of course, we know the whole reference here in God so loving the world that he gave his only son is that it would be for a substitutionary atonement that he would die in our place for our sins, for us. In 1 John 4, 9 and following, the same apostle is writing a letter, and he writes this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, the natural condition of humanity for each and every individual is clearly stated, and that's sinfulness before God. That's the perishing that we are saved from. So what amazing and precious grace it is that the Father would send His Son, and that if we believe in Him, we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life and happiness. But it doesn't just end here with an introduction in verse 16, but the apostle goes on then in verses 17 and 18 to talk a little bit more about this love of God in Christ and the purpose that he has for us. And we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the apostle John restates the mission, right? He just restates at the beginning of verse 17. 
that the Son came from the Father for bringing salvation and not condemnation, which will be reserved for the final day of judgment. That's when that takes place, when he returns. But of course, nevertheless, it's the fact, by the very simple nature of Jesus coming into this world and his teaching and what he did, he's going to divide humanity. And he brings judgment, if you will, when he came the first time passively, but he'll bring judgment actively when he returns the second time. But by default, he brings judgment into the world, even though that's not his outward purpose in his first coming. He entered a sinfully, sinful world, a lost world. And in John chapter 9, verse 39, for example, Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world. Now, first you might think, well, I just thought he wasn't supposed to do that. But that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. But it repeats really verse 18 here. That's what happens when he came. And in John 12, 46 and following, I have come into the world as light, Jesus said, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has to judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. As one scholar put it this way, Christ comes to judge the world as little as the sun comes up in the morning to cast a shadow. But judgment, like the shadow, is the natural consequence of the world's constitution and circumstances. The whosoever or the whoever in our passage here, is an offer beyond the people that are expected that it's for. The Apostle John is making it clear that this offer of salvation is for all the peoples of the world. It's not just for Jewish people. And in context of what was going on in his time when he wrote his letter, it's also not for just for people that have uh, our mystery religion initiates. People, there's always people like this, they think they have some special knowledge from God that they got in some special way that not everyone else can find, but only they can find. And that somehow they have a claim on God and his salvation and his purposes in a way that others do not. There was another group of people around at the time, the Qumran sectarians, and they lived a special holy life, much holier than the rest of us. And so it would seem that then they would be the ones that, oh, this is for whom salvation would come. You see, but there's always these people, these people who think they're more special than others, and they think that somehow God's salvation is just for them because they've put forth effort to be holier than others, to know more than others, or to participate in religious rituals that somehow might make them closer to God than other people. And one of the consequences then among humanity, and you've seen it as well, is that then there are those people who don't have those opportunities people that don't do those things, and they wonder if they're ever going to be good enough to be loved by God. But this passage makes it very clear that it's for whoever would believe. It's very simple. It's for you. It's for the people of West Essex, where we live. It's for the people in Asia and everywhere in the world. In John chapter 1, as the gospel opened, to all who receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believe in his name, he gives the privilege. He gives the honor to become children of God. It's for anyone who would believe. You know, and Christ accomplished his purpose, you know, when he came. He's been doing it for a long time. Many believed in him when he came. The only all-sufficient provision for sin has been given 
life and spared people judgment. And that includes our lives as well who believe in him. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So those who persist in unbelief, who refuse to accept Jesus as the Son of God and the Redeemer, are already in a position of condemnation, actually further condemnation, because now they're responsible for more. And the wrath of God, of God that rests upon them is even heavier. They don't have to really wait for the pronouncement at the final day of judgment, because Jesus' words are judgment enough. And they know where they stand, because they haven't believed in God's revelation in His Son. In John chapter 3, 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So consider God's love toward man. It's so great in the provision of salvation in Jesus Christ. Consider his love designed and destined specifically for you. Salvation and life. The cross and resurrection. And be encouraged and be joyful and relieved and worshipful and amazed and thankful and purposeful. Consider also who might else that you know need to hear this message. And wouldn't you like to be the one to tell them about the glorious mission of Jesus Christ, that he came to save the world? As I read this passage and been meditating on it this week, one of the things I noticed that stands out, maybe you've noticed it too, is that God loves people in spite of people's love for sin. About us. Our Apostle John, you know, he wrote all of this so that people would come to the light and so that they would believe it and have eternal life. He doesn't want to simply condemn people in their darkness. Do you really want other people to be saved? Then I want to encourage you, don't make it so complicated for people. Are you really hoping they will believe? Then don't doubt that they'll accept it. I speak just as much to myself as to all of us. You know, Christianity is not complicated. And for ourselves tonight, when we look at a passage like John 3, 16 through 18, I'd like us to find renewal during the Christmas season and reminding ourselves of the simplicity of the gospel and our own journey in the faith. The Apostle John also wrote in 1 John 5, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's an amazing thing to know, to know that you're saved. And so many people that I've talked to over the years, maybe you have as well, who just don't know for sure if they have eternal life. But if they believe in Jesus, they can know for sure. And we can share passages like this with them. So Merry Christmas from me. And uh, we're going to uh, close out our service this evening. Ramey's going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing Silent Night and, uh, and light our candles. Amen.
Gospels with the organ. Ah, there it is. And uh, so we invite you back to that. As Daniel said, in a moment, we're going to light candles. We're going to sing Silent Night. And um, so I'd like to pray for us before we do that. And the reason I want to pray before is I would like to give you the opportunity to stay and meditate as long or as short as you want to. So when we get to the end of Silent Night, by that time, everybody should have a lit candle out there. And um, you are welcome to just stay in your pew if you want to pray, if you want to have some time that's quiet. Um, and I would just ask if you're leaving, then as you're going out, just kind of go out in silence or if you're going to speak, maybe out in the narthex area, but um, we'll leave the sanctuary kind of uh, quiet for that. Is there a way to lower the lights just a little bit maybe as well? And uh, I'll pray as they're doing that. Well, Lord, uh, we thank you for this evening again. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for John 3.16, which is such a famous verse because it so simply puts out the gospel and your love for us. And Lord, another word for gospel is good news, and we can't help but see that come up in the Christmas reading, even as we heard tonight. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Lord, for those of us who have believed for many, many years, we pray that we would not miss this. We would not miss the good news. That, Lord, the news of our salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ would be as good to us today as it was the first day that we ever heard. And, Lord, we pray if there are those here who maybe have never heard this good news, that you would just flood them with that news this evening by your Holy Spirit, that it is true and it is life-changing. And Lord, the second part of that is great joy. And so we pray as we celebrate tomorrow morning together and as we celebrate with our families, wherever we might be going or traveling or whatever we're doing, Lord, that we would have that great joy in us all the time as believers, but especially as we celebrate Christmas Day and think about your incarnation. Give us great joy, we pray. Amen. Thank you. 